Welcome to Beyond the Field, your property finance and general discussion podcast series powered by Money Empire. We're a team of financial advisors here to help you tick off your property and finance goals. When we say Beyond the Field, we mean this to be beyond whatever field you're used to. So kick back, relax and enjoy the podcast. Kane. I'm Goran. Today we have our quarterly review with Ashley Church, property commentator. How are you? Good guys, good. Nice to see you again. Absolutely. On a nice rainy Auckland day for a change, which has been... Yeah, uncharacteristic, but I guess when you have winter you have to have a bit of rain. And very dark so, and gloomy today. That's because the lights dark, are off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully that's not a metaphor for what we're about to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> hey, let's jump straight into things and obviously let's talk about, um, I suppose, the current state of the property market and what you've been seeing since we've last talked. Yeah, so last time we talked, I think it was just after Grant Robertson had made his, um, his pronouncements around how he was going to solve the housing crisis and they involved a range of measures which were mainly uh, around putting the boot into property investors. Um, and on the back of that, he made some pretty um, brave statements around the impact of those on the market, which were followed up a few weeks later by the Reserve Bank Governor, both talking about uh, house price inflation dropping to, in the case of the Reserve Bank Governor, he made a very clear statement that it was going to drop to near zero. And uh, Grant Robertson uh, had a figure, I think, of about 0.9%, which was also in the Treasury paper. So it was a very coordinated message mm. uh, about what was going to happen to the property market, all of which was great, uh, except none of it's happening. So <laughs> the, markets, the markets clearly didn't get the memo, and uh, it's continuing to do what it was doing uh, prior to those announcements, albeit um, to a, perhaps in a little bit more of a sort of a nervous way. Yeah. But I think that's got more to do with the fact that the LVR restrictions were the main driver of that hot market uh, in the end of last year and the beginning of this year. And uh, they're now back on. So the um, the, the sort of the, 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 the green light to get in there and buy as quickly as possible is perhaps not quite as strong as it was, but the market's still doing what the market does. I can't imagine uh, the government is too happy probably with a, a bank bringing out a 1.79% No, no. <laughs> to uh, obviously get people to buy even more property. Yeah, although I wouldn't, you know, don't panic. According to Grant Robertson, it's going to drop to 09 So uh, if you'd believe that, then uh, then it's all going to evaporate in some magical way, unicorn way in the next uh, two or three months. So um, the obviously the I saw the papers came out around the tax legislation, what they're trying to do around... Um, the bright line test, or let's call it capital gains, and the interest deductibility. What are your thoughts on that? And what do you, I know we talked last time, do you think this is going to go ahead? Uh, the changes? Mm. Oh, absolutely. And, and keeping in mind that this is ideological, not economic. Yeah. So these are ideological changes. It's all part of a bigger agenda to uh, to bash property investors and, yep. and, and beyond that to bash anybody who's, who's basically making any sort of capital gain out of property uh, in the market. Uh, so absolutely these changes are, are, will proceed in the same way that the uh, Healthy Homes legislation and the various other uh, changes around uh, the ownership of rental property also came in um, over the last two or three years, some of which, to be fair, were actually quite good. Yep. I, think, I think some of the stuff around warmer, drier homes and things was actually you know reasonable and set a benchmark for people to, 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 to adhere to. But that suite of changes and this suite of changes are all around trying to dissuade people from treating property investment as a legitimate form of, uh, of investing. In my spare time, I sh- um, sifted through about 150 pages of this um, paperwork that they've been talking about. And there's some interesting things in there that I think are up for debate. They're talking about what 
Um, Only some things. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I think the big thing that I picked up was what they're trying to define what a new build is and what they may look like. And there's some loopholes in there where if you buy a new build uh, off a developer, obviously with CCC being issued, blah, 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 and you've held that for five years and then you on sell that, there's talk that that still remains a new build. Yeah. And that the new vendor who's bought that off the existing can continue that. Uh, interest deductibility. Oh, the tangle web we weave. It is ridiculous. It, I, I was under the impression it was just going to be like the old six month rule yeah. where yeah. You know, new builds are classified yeah. as for the first six months after CCC. So I didn't know that, and I and and uh, that's an interesting distinction. And I put it down to one or two things. Either either it'll be some um, weird thinking on the part of whoever set that policy that will somehow in their mind relate back to the original intention of the policy, which yep. was to encourage people to build new dwellings. Yep. Or it will be complete incompetence and stupidity. I'm going the latter. Right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> there was other things in there that I was bemused by around. Um, potential um, people or companies going into buying homes, renovating them, and maybe creating, you know, two or three bedrooms on that or an extra dwelling out back, that then can be called a new build. Yep. So instructability around this type of stuff. Yep. There's so much confusion. Yep. The only thing that I thought they got right was developers can claim. Yeah, the, yeah fair call. Um, I mean, I don't think, if, if you look at when the policy was announced, I don't think there was a lot of warning to to the parties that were going to be affected by it. So I think a lot of the stuff's around scrambling to come up with definitions in the wake of the announcement that Robertson originally made. Yeah, I agree. Do you think that these rules will have any um, effect on the market? Zip, nil, nada, none. Absolutely and that's none. Your, that's your personal and professional opinion? And also, obviously... Um, feedback that you've been getting from other investors well yeah I'm, I'm to be honest i'm in a bit of an echo chamber when it comes to feedback so that's probably not a, bari- a reliable barometer mm-hmm. um but certainly in terms of my own experience and observation of the market and the reason for that is because uh for two reasons one of them is because they're all predicated on the belief that property investors were actually causing house price inflation which yeah. as you guys know i completely disagree with mm-hmm. Uh, almost all of the house price inflation since 2013, if you're actually to look at it, who were the biggest investors in the market, was actually first-time buyers, yeah. um, not property investors. Property investors have had periods where they've been active, but they're relatively short periods, usually punctuated by some change in the market that causes that, yeah. the most recent of which was driven by the Reserve Bank announcing it was going to re-establish the uh, loan-to-value ratio restrictions, and that was what caused property... Inv- it was a red flag, basically, yeah. to property investors get into the market quick and buy. So it was caused by the, by the, the administrators themselves. Um, so firstly, I don't buy into this idea that it's going to impact because I don't accept the premise that property investors in the first place have actually been those who have caused it. But even if they were, given the way this policy has been structured, uh, the market will will uh, essentially adapt to it over the next four years as these changes are slowly implemented. So by the time you get to that fourth year, most of what would have been interest deductibility will have been passed on to, to the tenant in the form of rent. Yeah, so you're you're predicting like we talked about last time being passed on, and I Absolutely. agree with this completely. And we're probably starting to see a little bit of this from current um, vendors or landlords that own property. Is when the next tenancy review comes up, they're thinking about passing this on already. Yep. So the only caveat to that, and, and I wouldn't be entirely surprised, is is I think we talked about sort of playing whack a mole last time mm. round, and, and Robertson's next step. Uh, in frustration might be to try and regulate rentals themselves, mm. which incidentally, based on those loopholes you just uh, talked about in terms of interest deductibility, I can only imagine the loopholes that would be in, yeah. a, in a rent control policy. Um, but the evidence, the overwhelming evidence around the world is that rent control policies don't work, and, if, yeah. and, and all they do is basically is, is negatively and adversely impact the market in the short period of time that they've usually been introduced. Ashley, excuse my ignorance, just with these changes that the government announced, 
who are they getting this advice from to implement these changes and why don't they talk to people like yourselves who are on the beat on the street have lots of experience um, in terms of whether or not these things can potentially work or not I'll answer that actually because I make them feel dumb <laughs> uh, who are I they mean, talking to? Well, the answer is who, who are they talking to? They're overwhelmingly talking to the left rather than economists, yeah. and and the left, and, and so it's ideological. And the reason they're not talking to people like myself and others who've got a different view on this is because it, it's a pitched ideological battle. It's it's not an economic debate. It's not a debate around what's the best approach. It's an ideological debate. And until people understand that, they won't understand these moves. So this is around ideology. This is around a belief that collectivist approaches, that universalist approaches, that the elimination of wealth to the extent that you can do so within a democratic society are ways of resolving your economic problems or your or your social problems, um, and and you that mindset it's like a religion. So that mindset is firmly entrenched, and people like Robertson are basing what they do on that predisposed ideology that they're working from, and that's a very strongly held view. It's interesting, actually, you touched on um, the market and first home buyers before briefly, and there's been a lot of noise that you know around these announcements that it's really helped first home buyers out. We call it bullshit because mm. what we see from first home buyers now is one banks allowing some high LVRs yeah. and a lot more of the what we call their speed bumps allocation um, to high debt um, properties, but two interest rates being so low yeah. that. Um, first home buyers go, oh, actually, I can afford that mortgage now. Yeah. So they make their repayments and like, okay, it works. Yep. Plus, mums and dads have got their head around it a lot more that they can actually borrow or push out some gifting to them yep. with a deed of acknowledgement of debt or something. I agree. So to the extent that, it, that, that first home buyers are in a, in a good spot at the moment, it has nothing to do with this policy whatsoever. <laughs> um, and and beyond that, to the extent that it's being attributed to the policy, it's wishful thinking. It's 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 a desire for it to be as a result of these changes rather than actually being any, in any way related to them. Agree. Agree. What do you see, obviously, we're into winter, what do you see, obviously, this coming winter around property? Yeah, it'll be interesting. So normally you would expect uh, there's there's a lull in winter uh, pretty much everywhere, regardless of whether that area is in its boom cycle or not. So in Auckland, you would expect the market to taper off. The only caveat to that, and I, to must, I must admit I haven't got a handle on this as much as I probably should have, but I, so, because I'm in Hawke's Bay most of the time, but I know Hawke's Bay summer's been extraordinarily benign. So we've mm. had a really good summer this year. So, uh, sorry, winter. Um, it's been like a summer. It's been like a spring. Um, I don't know what Auckland's been like, but if the weather's better, that that may uh, impact on that traditional. Lull. It may not be as bad as normal. Um, but if it does uh, taper off over that three, two or three month period that it normally does during the winter months, again, the, the, there'll be there'll be those who've who've got vested interest in this thing who'll be scrambling to try and explain that somehow as a result of this policy. Well, in fact, it will be nothing of the sort. It will simply be the seasonal change you would expect at this time of year. I agree, and I also think that if winter, like generally, it does taper off, we see it every um, coming summer from banks, yep. they have a cash war. And Absolutely. They, they want to obtain clients, so they'll drop their pants on fixed one-year rates, throw yep. cash contributions, which again stimulates the market. Absolutely. So Absolutely. it's cyclical. It's pretty yeah. funny what we yeah. see. And yeah. people always ask these questions. and um, But they don't know why and how it works. Yeah. It is seasonal. But I was just going to say, actually, and it's not on my list here. To <laughs> Oh my god, a diversion. Because I want to hear it from, from the expert. Right. Um, and auctions. Or, or, or me. Auctions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, auctions. Do you think they're a driving force in terms of um, increased 
house prices. Like. Yeah, during hot markets, they're certainly a contributor. Okay. So, so I've got a really strong view about markets, which is that when markets are flat, they are the worst possible way to sell a property yeah. because all they are is a tool for agents to beat you down yeah. uh, on the basis that you go to an auction, the house get passed in, and the agent says, "Well, the market's speaking. You know, we need to, we need to be to moderate our price." So, so uh, when the, when the markets <coughs> during that traditional two or three year period where it's flat, that'd be the last tool I would use. During a hot market, they're really effective, and the reason they're effective is because uh, the, the the thing that makes auctions work is competition mm-hmm. it's having uh, two three four people in a room who all want to buy the same property uh, that competition pushes people up to the extent that they can afford to do so and that absolutely drives price increases but a property you know and this is probably a strange view for some people but a property is still worth what it sells for what yeah. i mean by that is if whatever price it achieves at auction that's its value because yep. that's what somebody was prepared to pay, and that's ultimately that's the the, the definition of what value is. Yeah. So, so is it pushing prices up beyond their value? No, because what it sells for is what it's well, it's worth. Uh, doesn't doesn't mean it will hold that value, but it certainly means that that's what it was worth on the day that the hammer fell. Actually, I want to touch on developers really quickly. Where do you see their future lies, obviously, and, and what's happening and, and with house prices? And do you think, because they get so much bad publicity, it's ridiculous, yeah. but they are a big part of how to solve a big part of this problem. If there's a problem, which yep. we don't think there is, yep. it's just obviously what's going on. Oh, look, I, I, th- there's a lot of noise. The problem is that we tend to, to view, uh, our, uh, we tend to shape our view and our opinions of the market through the kaleidoscope of what the media tell us is happening at any given point in time. And so, uh, you know, you, you, you read the Herald, you read stuff, you listen to Radio New Zealand or ZB, and that tends to inform you on what supposedly is happening to the market. I, I have a much more layered uh, and nuanced view. So I, I look at the market. I, I mean, I've talked to you guys before about my view that we don't actually have a housing shortage. Yeah, I agree. And, and my reason for that is if you could take the two most simple indicators of housing supply, population versus average household occupancy, and you look at the trajectory of household occupancy over the last 30-odd years and the trajectory of population over the last 30-odd years and do a really simple calculation, which is <coughs> divide one by the other, housing supply has increased dramatically over that period of time and it's and it's increased more dramatically than it would have been expected to just to stand still. So on those numbers, I won't bore you with them, but on those numbers we've built 200,000 more homes since 1986 than we would have required just to, to be where we were in, in terms of household occupancy in 1986. But there's so, always, actually, there's always in the media, they're always pumping out yep. info on shortage of tradies. Yep, and that came from... sense shortage of... New builds. Yep. So that came from, um, and and those last ones may well be true, and I'll come back to that in a moment. But the the idea that we had a shortage came. It, 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 nobody knows exactly where it came from. We know that there was a couple of reports in the mid two thousands, but nobody can put their hands on them. But we do know that Labor picked it up, and in two thousand and twelve, that became their policy. So Labor's policy from two thousand and twelve onward was this idea, which there was a shortage of a hundred thousand homes. Which incidentally, and people don't dig back this far in history, was also Labor's policy in nineteen eighty. There was 100,000 homes short, so they were actually regurgitating policy from 40 years ago. Um, and so that became a mantra. Over the next ten or sorry, over the next five or six years, people like myself uh, bought into that, believed it. The National Party bought into it and believed it. Nick Smith put policies in place to increase housing supply, all in the belief that this thing was actually true, until some people started digging into the numbers and actually having a look and finding out that it wasn't. So media commentary on this stuff, with all due respect to my, my colleagues in the media, is mostly misinformed. It's, it's people basically reading press releases and, and believing what they read rather than actually doing what they should do and actually finding out for themselves. Incredible. Yeah, so so that's where it's come from. And it's become a mantra that people believe and it's you know it, it sort of falls on the shoulders of people like me to start pushing back on that stuff and actually saying, well, this is what the numbers actually say. But to come back to your original point, 
Um, so how will it impact on developers? Not very much because developers, have, that construction I talked about before, it's been developers doing it. They've just been yeah. getting on and doing what they always do yeah. and they'll continue to do it. And sometimes it's harder and sometimes there's a shortage of supply or materials and other things. But overall, the market continues to push through. I actually wrote an article this morning uh, for One Roof and I was talking about this very issue and talking about the fact that if you want to see an example of a functioning property market, one that actually doesn't crash, and is reliable and consistent and actually provides supply over time. It's probably no better example of that anywhere in the world than New Zealand. Mm. And to the extent that the Reserve Bank and the government get involved in it, they mess it up. Um, but ultimately it beats them. Yeah. You can't stop it, right? No. It's a, it's a funny time right now, and I know friends and, and family that are sitting on so much equity yep. but have too scared to do anything fear yes yeah because one interest rates are low they're going to say well if I buy now they're going to increase over time yeah it's interesting I write uh, I, I wrote a lot about um, the stability of the market and the and the increase in capital growth and so I'll write these articles and I'll get emails from people who've read them and so the article will, will, will go into great detail about why this, the market's not going to crash and, and it's stable and you can have some confidence that you can continue to buy and the expectation it's going to go up. And so I'll get an article, I'll get an email from somebody who'll say, great article, but should I buy now? <laughs> Even having read the article. So it's, a, it's just a fear and you can understand it. I honestly believe it has to do with the fact that they bought, say, for 500k. Yep. Seven, eight years ago, yeah. it's jumped up by a million. They yeah. paid off 300. Yeah. They've got 200K left mortgage. Yeah. They've worked hard to pay that off. Yeah. Why on earth would they go out and get another debt of say one? Oh, I get that. but And I believe you're right. I think that's a part of it. But I also think it's just this fear. They're being told by everybody that the market's going to crash. Yeah. You know, the mantra that the market's going to crash has been around... Uh, for 40 years it's constant and, and, and when the market's strong then the mantra is it's too strong and it can't we, we can't sustain it it's yeah. a bubble and it's going to crash and when it's weak it's look the market's weakening it's about to crash Whatever whatever's happening it's and, and the only problem with that is it's never actually happened mm. it's not happened in that entire 40 year period it's not happened we've had some dips it's but so the, frustrating yeah, telling people probably talking about what a crash is or a correction it's oh, only so about five percent well, right yes yeah, so, well, well it depends i mean you have to create your own definition because there isn't an official one but my definition's been clear for probably 15 years and that is for me a market crash is more than 20 percent sustainable and what i mean by sustainable drops by 20 percent and stays there for a long time that's quite significant yeah so so a 10 percent drop we had a 10 percent drop in yep. in, in uh, 2011 just after the gfc and uh, with fact, well it was 8.9 i think in, in auckland a little bit less than that around the rest of the country and it stayed there for about a year and then it started going up again but it was an eight or nine percent drop on the back of a hundred percent increase in the previous 10 years so you've got to put it into some sort of context so that's not a crash that's a that's a, a, a an, an incident that was an interesting time because the gfc was kind of like the the crisis that we felt we had to have mm-hmm. uh, what i mean by that was the the fundamental uh, factors which impacted on the american market and caused the detroit market to drop by 90 percent had no relationship to anything going on here mm-hmm. but because it was going on around the west of the world that confidence thing kicked in and so new zealand is kind of we know you know it must be perhaps it's not a good time to buy so it had that eight or nine percent impact uh as i say lasted for about a year and then took off again um, and it's about as bad as it's got in the last 40 years um to be fair and and to be completely transparent we did have a crash in the 70s in the 70s we had uh, in fact we had our very first property boom between 1970 and 1975 house prices broadly doubled yeah. then they dropped by 38 percent 
between um, 1975 and about 1978. So by the time you got to the end of the 80s, so of the 70s, prices were around about where they'd been at the beginning of the 70s. They'd virtually had no increase at all. It's the only time it's ever happened. And there's all sorts of theories about that. There were some major things happening in the world economy at the time. Um, but uh, you know, we could we could theorise about that. But what we do know is from 1980 on, when it's been remarkably stable. The two most common things we hear. The market's going to crash, and rates are going to rise. Every yeah. week. And no matter Every if you're involved in property or finance or not, that is what you hear generally. And yep. if it's a slow news day, yep. bang, straight into the news, into yep. the media. Yep. Speaking I'm, of that, Ashley, before I cut you off, interest rates. Yep. Are they going to rise and when, and by how much? Don't oh, know. No. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you what I think. I tell you what I think. I tell you what I think, and I, no one knows. No one knows. So there's a couple of countervailing forces at the moment. One countervailing force is uh, that the New Zealand economy seems to be going better than uh, we all expected, and interest rates in the we're talking about the OCR here, the the Reserve Bank's impact on the Reserve Bank's in their purest and most simple form are about moderating inflation, uh, which is about so so it's about increasing activity when activity's low by by lowering interest rates. Or when activity's high and it looks like inflation might get out of control, increasing interest rates to dampen demand. So there is an argument that says that at the moment there is some concern that the economy might get too strong, and if it does, we'll need to keep inflation under control, and therefore the Reserve Bank will exercise its discretion and start to increase rates. There's a countervailing view that says that's great, but the world economy's in the toilet. Yeah. And so as long as the world economy's where it is, um, New Zealand's not going to do anything to upset the apple cart anytime soon because of those commodity prices and other things that fuel our economy are really important to us and we don't want anything that's going to make our goods too expensive. Um, I think, and this is, you know, look, my guess is as good as the next guy's, I think we're probably looking at 0.25%, maybe a couple of 0.25% changes starting next year a couple of times a year, so about half a percent a year for the next four or five years, which means interest rates going up maybe 2.5%. Um, over the next four or five years, so we'd be, we could get back up to five percent by two uh, by two thousand and twenty six, two thousand and twenty seven. But who knows? Because because we thought it was going to happen, obviously yeah. going into COVID, right? Everyone, yeah, and yeah. It just went the other way. Yeah, and didn't. So so you know, and there could be another could be another breakout. There could be another pandemic. Who knows what's going to happen to the world economy? What I do know is that that rate of increase gives you plenty of time to adapt. Agree. Yeah. Yeah. Agree. Ashley, it's always a pleasure having on, um, having your comments and, and Goran uh, throwing in some of those questions. So we appreciate the quality reviews and um, we'll check you out next time. Good stuff. Thanks, guys. See you again soon. Hopefully you enjoyed the podcast today. For more info on this podcast and a heap more, check us out on Beyond the Field on Instagram, Facebook and LinkedIn. And hit the subscribe button. Take the reins of your future and feel empowered with Beyond the Field.